0: portion of God's Word that we'll focus our attention on this afternoon for a few minutes comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, Forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lot. This is the word of our God. Let's pray. O perfect life of love, all, all is finished now. All that he left his throne above to do for us below. No work is left undone. Of all the Father willed, his toil, his sorrows, one by one, the scriptures have fulfilled. Amen. Were you there? It's the title of that famous Lenten hymn that gets you to think borderline accuses. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they nailed him to the tree? Were you there when they laid him in the tomb? Before you answer that question, though, let's just consider some of the people who were there. We know there were Roman soldiers there at least these four, probably some more. And they're just doing their job. Probably don't think about it that way, but they were just doing their job. Rome was occupying Israel. And yeah, there was an intimidation factor as Roman soldiers head-to-toe armor, perfectly sharpened swords were marching in formation through the streets. I don't think too many people were about to mess with them. There was a natural intimidation factor just by the the fact that they were there. But you see, crucifixion was not a preferred way to to execute the wicked people. It was an exercise in intimidation. This was the Roman soldier's greatest tool. When the Roman governor sent them out to execute someone, they didn't go to the back forty. And do it where no one could see. It was never done in a corner. It was always done on a main highway leading right into the city so that everybody coming in, everybody going out, would see the people hanging there suffering incredible agony. It was a message, right? This is what happens if you mess with Rome. This is what happens if you break our rules. This is what happens if you think you can rise up against us. If there is a big rebellion, well, there's just going to be a whole long line of crosses. If it's one person, then just one. But if you don't want that to happen to you, mind yourself. Soldiers were just doing their job. Then you got the criminals, right? The guy on Jesus' left and the guy on Jesus' right. And we don't know much about them. But we do know that at least one was willing to at least acknowledge that they were getting what they deserved. That their death was a just death. He admits his sin. And he says these beautiful words. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus responds with even more beautiful words. Today you'll be with me in paradise. And he was. He was. And he still is, and he will be forever. Then there's the Jewish leaders who are there mocking Jesus. I'm sure there was a little part of them that wanted to make sure that the the deed was done, because after all, they're they're the ones who wanted Jesus dead. And so they probably just want to make sure that Pontius Pilate and his soldiers follow through with what they said they were going to do. After all, Pontius Pilate wanted to let him go. So they're there to to see this thing through, mocking Jesus, come down if you are the son of God, ignorant of the fact that he could have any moment and destroyed them on the spot. I'd love to be able to say that Jesus' disciples were all there. But of course, it's just the one, John. The one that we heard about in our reading from John's gospel. John's there at the foot of the cross, but the other disciples, they've they've left. Pontius Pilate, we're not sure. It seems like he probably wasn't there, but he was there in spirit, right? Because he, he wanted to leave his mark on Jesus' cross and he put that sign above that said, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And then, of course, there's Jesus' mother, Mary. Just a few months ago when we celebrated Christmas, we, we looked at some of the the beautiful things that were said to her. As as a very young girl, the angel Gabriel shows up and he tells her this incredible news that she, of all people, is going to be the mother of the promised Messiah, the promised Christ. Then she has that baby. Remember she and her husband Joseph, they take him to the temple and there's this man named Simeon waiting for them. And he takes the the baby in his arms and he says, Lord, now, now you can dismiss your servant. For my eyes have seen your salvation. But then he turns to Mary and he says something that probably left her scratching her head for a long, long time. He says, a sword will pierce your own soul too. I'm sure that Mary thought about those words her whole life and maybe there were times when, when Jesus was threatened or mocked during his life and maybe that hurt her and she thought maybe that's what he meant but it wasn't until she stood at the foot of the cross and looked up and saw her son that she finally understood what Simeon had prophesied that day. You think through some of the people who were there then you sing this hymn, were you there when they crucified my Lord? No. No, I wasn't there. Thousands of miles, 2,000 years separate me from that place. I was not there. Neither were you. But there's a different way to consider that question, were you there? There's another hymn in our hymnal that leads us to, to ponder that very same question. It's probably not as well-known as Were You There, though. It's called God Was There on Calvary. The first verse goes like this. God was there on Calvary, God the Father's only Son, dying that the world might live there on Calvary. But then listen to what verse 2 says. All the world on Calvary crucified the Prince of Life, pierced the hands of God's own Son there on Calvary. All the world crucified the Prince of Life. Now, if this poet's words are true, then you, you were there. So was I. We may not have been the ones who, who held the, the kangaroo court. We, we may not have been the ones who issued the, the unjust sentence. We may not have been the ones who took the nails and held them down and pounded them in. But it was our sins that put Jesus on that cross. It was our sins that were laid upon him. We were there. The sins of every single man, woman, and child who has ever lived or will ever live, all our sins were on Jesus, on that cross. We were there. Every bit is guilty as the Jewish leaders and Pontius Pilate and the Roman soldiers who hammered the nails... You and me, every bit is guilty. And if, and if you have a hard time believing that, stop comparing yourself to the list of people we just went through. Stop comparing yourself to the Roman soldiers and to the Jewish leaders and to Pontius Pilate and just compare yourself to Jesus for a minute. If you find yourself driving on our nation's highways quite often, you've probably noticed that for the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years or so, there's been a sudden increase in Christian-themed billboard material. Have you noticed that? You may or may not know that most, if not all, of the Christian-themed billboards that you've seen, they're from the same organization. They have a website and tons of billboards that you could purchase and put up in your community. They, they kind of work together. They have one that has this, this red background with an arrow pointing to the, to the right. And it says, genuine Christians in white letters. Genuine Christians. And then in big capital letters at the top, it says, forgive. And then in little letters, like Jesus. Genuine Christians, forgive. Like Jesus course, all these billboards, they're things that you're going to only see for a moment as you go flying by, so the message has to be short. They want to get your attention. I don't know, what what do you think's the, the point of a billboard like that? Genuine Christians forgive like Jesus. You think it's like a a hypocrisy meter? Like, this is how we identify who the fake Christians are and who the real ones are. If you have people who, who say they're Christians, but they won't forgive, aha! Not real ones, fake ones. Maybe that's it. Does it bring you comfort? Genuine Christians forgive like Jesus. Do you forgive like Jesus? Jesus is getting nailed to a cross by guys who could care less. He's one more hunk of flesh getting thrown up on a a piece of wood to teach these lowly people a lesson. What do they care? They're Romans, they run the show. They're just doing their job, making sure that all the peons around them know who's in charge. They're not saying, "Oh, sorry, I got to do this." You know, I I don't want this to happen. They're not asking him to forgive them. They're not admitting any wrongdoing. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. I don't forgive like that. You don't either. Genuine Christians forgive like Jesus. So what does that mean about me? What does that mean about you? Who of us could say we forgive like Jesus? We we forgive people when we've received our pound of flesh, when when they've suffered enough. Then maybe we, we let it go. We hold on to grudges far better than we release Sin. What does that mean for me? What does that mean for you? If, if we can't forgive like Jesus, if we're, if we're not like Him, what does that mean? Well, it means we're guilty. It means we need forgiveness. It means we need a miracle. And then we stop and we look at this Jesus hanging on the cross, and it doesn't look too good. This guy has been beaten to a pulp. He can't even finish carrying his his own cross. they got to find someone in the crowd to help him carry it the rest of the way. This is not the guy who said, Talitha, cool Little girl, get up. And she did. This is not the guy who said to the storm, peace, be still. And the waves calmed and the wind died down. This is not the guy who said, Lazarus, Lazarus. Come out. And he did. This is not the same miracle worker. What, what good is he hanging on that cross? You might think that because it's Good Friday that we got to pretend for the rest of the night and all day tomorrow like we don't know what happens next. We don't on Sunday evening, the same Jesus who had hung on a cross looking helpless not too long before appeared to his disciples in a locked room and he showed them his hands. The same hands that had nails driven through them that held his body to a cross. And he didn't say, shame on you. Shame on you for abandoning me. Shame on you for not riding it through with me. No. He said, peace be with you. Peace be with you. You know, scars don't tend to be very comforting things. You see someone who's all scarred up and, ooh, what happened to you? But when the disciples saw the scars of Jesus' nail-marked hands, never had they been so comforted in their whole life. Because when Jesus said, it is finished, it really was. He had suffered the punishment for your sins and mine. The sins of the whole world. The times that we've failed to forgive our our friends, our relatives, our family, our, our neighbors. The times that we have failed to obey our God. His blood was poured out to forgive all our sins. It's Jesus' nail-pierced hands that bring all the comfort because it really is finished. Ended. That the Father's plan has been brought to fulfillment. It is all done. There's nothing left for you, for me, to do. And so, yes, all the world on Calvary crucified the Prince of Life pierced the hands of God's own Son there on Calvary. Sin was there on Calvary. All the sins of everyone laid upon God's sinless Lamb there on Calvary. But love was there on Calvary, streaming from the heart of God, reaching out for everyone there on Calvary. Life was there on Calvary, flowing from his wounded side, spent that death itself might die there on Calvary. We were there on Calvary. We were pardoned, saved, set free, saved to live eternally. Blessed Calvary. So yeah, we were there. We were there on Calvary. We were pardoned, saved, set free. Saved to live eternally. Amen.